Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. This week we talk about if employers care about your ACCA exam results, a popular blog feature which we ran during the week. We also look at recent news stories including a major money laundering scandal and how space tourism has been opened up to the public markets. I'm Connor and I'm joined today by Alan. Hello. So this we've kind of come full circle on this topic which we're focusing on today where we briefly mentioned it in one podcast then we got a lot of students asking about it on the mm-hmm. webinars we ran a blog feature on it during the week which has got a lot of interest and traction and i think it, i suppose it's really a, a topic that students are interested in and mm-hmm. one that no one really a lot of people don't want to talk about because certainly ACCA have to have the stand that Yes, every exam matters. You need to be getting passing and getting all your results. But I know in that that blog um, that we run, the the big, I suppose the big point of focus is the qualification and what you learn doing that qualification. Yeah, I, 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 at the end of the day, I've never met anybody who in ACCA who wouldn't be happy to hear that every student got fifty one percent in every exam. Yeah, that certainly wouldn't. They wouldn't be disappointed. They wouldn't be unhappy. Um, and you, you hear a lot of people around ACCA, whether it's lecturers or, and some students after they've done it, it's all about 51. And like, it's all about yeah. 50, but get 51 just to make sure. And there's, I, I think, f- do your results matter? I have done hundreds of job interviews in my time. And sure, when we met you, Connor, we never asked, we knew what your qualification was. And we yeah. said, oh, you're a qualified accountant. Yes, that was it. I don't think we asked, we didn't say, no, share your results. And what did you write in yeah, your yeah. exam? And how did you find question three? Uh, at the <laughs> end of the day, the, any professional accounting such as ACCA, um, they are giving the employer the seal of approval. And that seal of approval is that you are qualified ACCA. How you got there, whether you struggled over a number of years, you struggled with certain exams, because as we know, Everybody struggles with one yeah. or two exams. There's not. There's nothing unusual about that. Um, and some people can get seventy, and some people can get thirty. And the person getting seventy doesn't know why, and either is the person getting thirty. But that's just the way exams go. Uh, but I have never asked, and I don't think it's important to an employer. I think they've got that ACCA seal of approval, and at the end of the day, it's why you got into the interview. Yeah. But having ACCA isn't why you're going to get the job. We talk all the time in the exam about being able to apply your knowledge in an exam. Well, in an interview, being able to show them you can apply what you've learned in ACCA is what's going to get you the job. Yeah, it's, not, yeah. it's not just because you have that red and white stamp yeah. on a certificate. And I think that that alone, and that was a big thing in the blog, was was everything else on top of you know it, it showing that you know, well, you obviously get the accounting qualification, you know all those syllabus areas that they cover, but it's showing all these other things of, you know, commitment, dedication, time yeah. management. Like, there's no perseverance. Yeah, all of those there's no way you can get through that without, you know, a, a strong level in all those different facets. And you know, even if you don't have to say it, but they know that if you've gotten through that number of exams, that you are a resilient person. That mm. you know, you can manage stress. That you know, you're going to be coming into a work environment, and there are things that they will want you to be capable with, that you don't give up at the first sign that something's difficult. Well, probably one of the biggest projects you'll manage personally, or the first project you'll probably manage in your accounting career is your own accounting qualification. Yeah. If you think about it, because you kind of have to plan work life, home life, friends, sleep, hopefully a little bit, and study. Mm. 
And you have to do that for a pretty long period of time. So if you can manage that and like every project, you'll have sometimes when it goes well and sometimes when it goes disaster and you make changes to improve it, hopefully. Um, you'll have some days that will be harder than others and you'll hopefully learn from that. You'll have successful exams and you may have unsuccessful exams, but you hopefully learn from that. But the biggest, the, that's the first project you manage and probably the project you'll manage for the longest period of time. Yeah. Because I know in jobs and work, like you get three month projects or six month projects or when you were in audit, you got audits that went on for a yeah, period yeah. of time. But you never did like a two and a half year audit. Unless it was going really bad. That's a different type of fun. But the, that's a, so as a, so that's what an employer is seeing. It's seeing, as you said, all those skills, all those mm. personal personality traits of like that perseverance and the commitment, but also that ability to to project manage your way through it um, and to kind of, oh, and people come in and say, I'm not really good at organizing or I'm not really good at time management. But if you've passed ACC exams, yeah. you're actually, you have to and be some It's that thing everyone asks, no matter what, um question you're asked in the interview if you're stuck for a thing to link it back to your ACCA qualification oh, will be yeah. if, if because if someone says you know sh show a time that you demonstrated you know balancing a project at a busy time oh yeah you, you when I link. did my exams like, yeah the only it's so just it's, it's just what questions not to use it in yeah but it's like there's nothing there's nothing that you can't apply it to in, in an interview and again that's the the person interviewing you is already going in with a positive frame of mind. They've already kind of ticked that big concern. Yeah. You're a qualified accountant. You're qualified with ACCA. And the amount of um, comfort they take from that. And then it's really showing them that all the skills that you've learned in between. Yeah, doing and that has, that's actually helpful. was um, another one of the points which is which has come up a lot. And again, I get this on the webinar of people asking you know, what else you can do to impress employers um, on top of getting that qualification. And I think that's, first of all, it's great to see that people are looking to add that in as well. But I think, mm. as you kind of mentioned earlier, it's all those things of seeing the, um, I suppose, the value in the content that you're studying in the real world and making those links and being commercially aware um, and that's part of the reason we we talk about our various news stories and, and how they link into everything that you're studying. And when employers see that you're not just stuck in the, the theory and detail and don't see that real world application, when you can demonstrate that in an interview and someone realizes that this person's really clued in, I think that speaks volumes. I think there's a real feeling with students in all walks of life and not just ACCA students that... When they do a subject and they take the exam and they pass it, they think, I'm never going to need that again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ne I've passed my exam. I'm never going to use that again. And when they get their ACCA qualifications, like, I've passed all those exams. Phew, that, that's that done with life. Um, instead of actually, and then it's nearly, and now I can learn about the real world in my yeah. real job. But it's not like the, if you don't kind of, if you're not learning about yourself, while you're doing your ACCA exams, you're just not paying attention. And, and that's really what, because it, there's so much to learn. And and I think the people who aren't learning about themselves are are those people who say, ACCA made me fail on purpose. Mm. They want me to fail. They gave me low marks on purpose. They're, they're marking to a, a, a curve, all those type of things. They're all the people who are, who are somewhat nervous about learning about themselves because they don't want to admit the yeah. truth. But if you kind of take on board 
what your exam results are saying about you and to you and you learn from that and and you see it as a continuous learning curve if you want to call it that with the the top of that curve getting your first kind of real job out of it and always hold on to those learnings i think it's yeah. a massive difference in your and career. I, I think try challenging it can, again it can be hard when you're doing the subjects but try um challenge yourself with what you're doing and, and let's say you're in an interview and the interviewer says well what was your favorite subject in acca mm. have a think you know in advance well what subjects do i like or what topics or you know do i like sbl because i'm seeing a combination of things that i can apply it to the real world do I like audit because it makes sense and I see all these scandals and I know why it works? And do try, for anyone who is in that maybe situation that they are looking at jobs at the moment, try to clarify those things in your own head, what parts that you like and think of how that might transpire into a, a job or a role that you could have. Because as we said, if, if you are in an interview and you can display that with the interviewer and they can really see that you've made the connection of the value in that qualification, it, it's going to stand really well to you. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider. Our first story today was one that was actually sent in, which is great. Oh, and um, we always love to see that. So anyone who either does have a question for the question segment or sees a story that could be of interest or even a topic that they'd like to see um, featured, we're happy to take them. But but on to this news story, which was sent in by Theodore Garrison, uh, is about a major investigation currently into money laundering activities at a major gold refiner in Dubai called um, Kab- Kab- Kalati. I can't even read you my writing. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell I didn't find this. Um, so, which was giving cash for black market gold with a money laundering gang who I think are using funds from UK and European um, drug dealers that are they're then g- getting through this company. Mm-hmm. So th- I think this was all going on back in around 2012, 2013. This money laundering gang was all convicted then in around 2017. But it's now emerged that EY Dubai had failed to um, report on kind of suspicious activities um, and they'd even altered a compliance report to hide it at some point. So obviously EY Dubai and the EY brand and I'm sure plenty of other EY offices aren't too happy but it's, um, yeah, I think one of some of the issues they'd found gold that was sorry, silver bars that had been coated in gold that were being passed off as gold and then huge cash payments to this gang. Um, I think in 2012, they'd um, they'd paid $150 million for gold that year alone, which is, wow. it was um, filtering <laughs> some cleaning, small money, is it? cleaning some dirty money um, back into their hands. And now since then, the lead auditor at the time has kind of blown this open uh, but I think the powers that be within the company had had kept him quiet so I don't really know where we start with this yeah, in terms like of governance got, money laundering um, auditors you've just described what could be a whole case study in yeah. an SBL exam or certainly about four questions in audit and insurance yeah, um, yeah it's, it is hard it's, it's baffling what um, I guess the good thing is the truth comes out in the end but Anybody who's money laundering has probably mm. already moved off and they're, they've made yeah. themselves pretty untouchable anyway. Um, that 150 million is well gone. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's a tough... Where I'd say this is an interesting story, it's... Um, 
it's about all those things you hear in your exams about like in audit and in corporate law and anything about kind of um, whistleblowers and telling yeah. the truth and stuff and it's one thing in an exam to, to kind of go oh if I saw a situation like this I would immediately inform my boss and I would immediately do mm. this and here are the steps that I would take to ensure independence with all that type of stuff but when it comes down to actually being faced with a situation like this it's it's very it's a very tough one and I think this is this is a good example about how ACCA exams are moving away from oh the four things to do are, the three things to do are, it's kind of being able to describe what you would have done in a situation yeah. like this is where the, the real marks are. I actually don't, I, I kind of look at that, I go, where do you even start? You kind of, no. you could be so far inside that that you kind of can't even see. Yeah, and it's one ones. of these classic cases now where everyone's pointing the finger at EY are vigorously denying that they you know that they um, were involved in anything they're saying they complied with all regulations uh, Kalati the company are saying they complied with all anti-money laundering checks and all these know your client things Yeah, and then what can happen in these situations is then people turn on the whistleblower and say well so it's it's it is kind of a yeah a chain of blame, but with these things, you suddenly start to see the value in all those things like anti money laundering checks, um, re- reporting on fraud to regulators, all this type of systems that are in place to catch things like this, but how they can still be manipulated. Exactly, and it's a, the systems are one thing, but actually following those processes and procedures and taking that action when you know something's wrong that's yeah. the hard part and, and unfortunately um, Ireland is no different than a lot of countries that whistleblowers tend to be the hardest done by because it's a big thing um, it's a very brave thing to stand up and say no this is wrong and especially money laundering like not only is it wrong morally it's illegal and all those yeah. type of things and to be able to stand in front of your bosses and say like who do I have to tell because I'm going to keep on talking yeah, about it. yeah. it's a very brave thing to do and unfortunately whistleblowers are generally the ones that are somewhat punished mm. um, and it's generally indirectly but they do end up being the ones punished but yeah it's a it's it's these things shouldn't happen there's no excuses for these things to happen with the awareness it's not as yeah. if like, oh I never knew people did money laundering and Kevin's looking at us here and, and uh, <laughs> Kevin's not involved in ACCA and he's heard of money laundering do you know what I mean people know that like it, it's that whole thing if it looks funny was it, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's probably a duck <laughs> and it, it's kind of it's, it's no different do you know what I mean yeah. if, it's, if it looks too good to be true it usually I, is I think that's one of the I think this um, this company around that time had given like 5 billion in cash payments for gold mm. a real cash for gold thing which I think is yeah, yeah. Seven, real. and then some of the um, you know the people that they were dealing with would have had a lot of question marks around them anyway um, I'm surprised they didn't uh, buy a big football team and yeah, just put the money in yeah, there yeah, just, just keep it simple like yeah, yeah like a lot um, of other companies are doing and then I think obviously if if you get to the point you're scratching gold and it's turning out to be silver and that's that's never a great sign. No, probably within not. a gold company. Not, not that I've ever um, been somebody no. who's had a, well, I'm had a bar of gold some, to scratch. Well, some yeah. poor um, junior auditor <laughs> being yeah. sent for a stock take. Yeah, scratching the top um, of the gold. But yeah, I think I think, and again, it's a, a great story to have been sent in. I I feel um, there was a lot of articles on this over the weekend. I know there's a a BBC kind of expose documentary that's on this week. So I think this is something that 
there will probably be more things emerging, but it, it's mad when you think this this is all stuff which was maybe going on the last six, seven years, yeah. how long people can get away with that and it can take. And the whole role of, you know, audit and assurance firms is to to bring kind of, I suppose, some confidence that that these things aren't happening and that um, companies are operating the right way. So it's, it's funny when you see, and this is a drop in the ocean, I'm sure, to the number of stories like this, where that stuff is going under the radar. Yeah. Okay, moving to a slightly different story. This one is about Virgin Galactic, which you might have heard of, oh, yeah, which is Richard Branson. When am I going to space? Yeah, <laughs> when you the 250 grand. Oh, <laughs> I think that's the um, the cost at the moment for a 90-minute flight. Um, so yeah, this is Richard Branson's human space flight company, which uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange on... Um, I think Monday of last week. So it's kind of opening, I suppose, this new type of um, industry to the public markets and letting them weigh in on the the potential for space tourism. Um, I know for him, it's a big step because I think Elon Musk and Jeff um, Mm -hmm. Bezos, who are the the other two mad billionaires in the world that that have um, lots of these these type of companies, but they're they're also everyone's in this kind of space race to commercialize this as quickly as possible. But um, certainly that's a big step for him. And I know that as an industry, it's expected to to grow to, I think, 3 billion over the next kind of years or decade. Um, and at 250 grand a pop, it doesn't want to take you too long to get there. Say, no, yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. exactly open to the masses. No, I think, yeah, the, the names in the article I saw were Leonardo DiCaprio and Justin Bieber have already yeah, booked their, already booked their spots. Yeah, yeah. And Alan Lynch is on the, yeah, the waiting I'm, I'm, list. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm probably a bit... Um, can, they, can you pay kind of two euro a week or something and build up, a, yeah, build up your credits? There might be a competition that is some, <laughs> yeah. some Willy Wonka type thing. Exactly, that, get a golden ticket and yeah. end up in space. I, I think the other thing interesting on this story particularly in light of all we've talked about we work the last few weeks is kind of the risk for these companies going to a public market when they have these grand visions but very unproven models and, mm. and no one really knows people love ideas and we it's love the, you know, all, yeah and I'm sure you know I don't know how many years you would have had to go back where if someone said the idea of a, a space tourist bus effectively mm. they would have been laughed at so it's, it's amazing how quickly these things can start to come to a reality, but, you know, you can't look away from the, like, if you were looking at any business um, and the plan and, and you know, how how you can get value out of your investment and, and where that's going to be going. So I think it is, yeah, it's, it's I suppose it's, it's one to watch, but it, it's mad to think. It'd be very curious to see what happens in the future, but I don't think I'll... You're not investing just I, yet? I, I don't think I'll invest. If I was going to invest, I'd invest to go rather than invest to own them. At least I'd have my memories. Yeah. If I went, I'm not too sure I'll have much left if I invest them as a company. Each week at the end of the show, we answer questions sent in by our listeners. You can send your questions in by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at LearnSignal. So, Connor, we've had one question, so I thought I'd ask you the question today. Um, a student got in touch on Instagram um, and asking about SBL. 
And I guess the question was like, because it's such a big course and I think sometimes they mix the length of the exam with the size of the mm. course as well. So uh, wondering how many days study should they do or how many hours study should they do a day to prepare for the exam? Yeah, this is an interesting one. And again, students love hours and set amount of yeah. time and how many hours to prepare. And how yeah, many they don't do it, but they like but to know it. <laughs> I think, and you'll have heard us talking on the podcast and the webinars, lots about how from this week we're now into our coming into our one month revision boot camp it's all um about exam prep stuff and with a lot of them the value is in you know how long it takes to do that task for the day so that will vary but if you're doing you know if you're doing let's say this person's doing SBL and you say well do I need to do two hours each day so I'll do half a case study today and half tomorrow whereas the real value for you might be in sitting down doing the full case study mm. and then maybe the next day you spend an, an hour um, reviewing that case study. So it doesn't, you know, there's no set time limit. It is more task-based, but you, I think the key is mixing it up with all those things that, you know, so what I'd say is do our revision bootcamp because we give the time within that. But there, there is different things you need to do each day and sometimes there's as much value in um, reading the examiner's report for 20 minutes as there is in spending two hours on a question. I kind of sometimes think if you're wondering what the hours are you need to do every day, there's an element of not understanding the subject. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that there's a formula and there isn't a formula. And I think we take the mystery out of formula as well, as you said, with the boot camp by saying, do this today, it'll take you X amount of minutes and, and whatever it might be. But still, there's a, there's a lack of appreciation mm. I guess for the uniqueness of SPL um, I think don't confuse if you're listening don't confuse uniqueness with difficulty because I don't think it's a difficult exam but it's unique in ACCA because of the length of time because of the fact that it's one case study it's effectively one long question with lots of different parts in it no matter which way you split it up it's really yeah. just one big long question um, and the uniqueness of everything they do with the planning it's different. Um, the pass rate would say it's not an overly difficult exam compared to all the other exams. No. So, but I do think it's a it's a mindset shift. Um, but SBL, I know we were at the beginning. We were telling people to do SBL at the very end. Um, there's also an argument you could, with the pass rates. You could do it at the beginning, but I, I do think it's a the the hours thing. Um, I think you could say with advanced performance management if you do two hours a day and you study like this mm. it's a time thing because you can fit subjects into times I think with SBL you need to understand the topic a little bit look at our the way we split it up for the timetable and for the boot camp and try it because if you're not understanding how to study it I'm not too sure you'll understand how to answer it in an exam yeah. as well and yeah I think if you're getting you know the big risk and I think where people have the issues with SBL is they they just treat it like every exam they've done before and they try to put, you know, this kind of square peg and round yeah. hole mentality of just applying that to something that is very different. And, you know, what you might be happy to hear is in some sense there's, there is less involved maybe within SBL. And I, I don't think a lot of the theory is as difficult as you see in some of those advanced mm. subjects, but it's, it's training your brain to think and work in a certain way and approach questions in a certain way. And you know, that doesn't necessarily mean every day you start study, you're jumping in to a load of things and you're just trying to watch videos and do questions. It, it's kind of more, 
you really have to be thinking and it's really applying yourself within your study and, and thinking how to approach those cases. And there is, you know, the, the, you'll see in our bootcamp, there's a lot of focus on technique and technique for case studies. And that's as important as sitting down and doing a full case study is, is looking at that and knowing what your approach is to them. Okay, so we're going to finish up there for today. Once again, thanks for listening. Thank you to all the people who sent in questions and news stories. And as we said, if there's any question or news story or topic you'd like to hear us cover, feel free to send them in at any stage. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.